morning, everybody. Today, I will address some of the significant issues facing our nation and what God says about them. As you may or may not be aware, there are many people out of work. They do not have adequate food, health care, or education, and they need our help. But the Bible says God helps those who help themselves. And there are many people who suffer through tragedy, from natural disasters to violent crimes to disease and abuse. They are overwhelmed. They are struggling. But the Bible says God won't give you more than you can handle. And we have all dealt with problems and challenges that we don't understand. Things happen in our world and in our lives that are beyond our control. But don't worry, because the Bible says everything happens for a reason. And if your lifestyle isn't what you want it to be, if you want a nicer car or a bigger house or just want more money in the bank, then speak it into existence because as the Bible and my mama always say, name it and claim it. Well, what then does the Bible say? And so again, big thanks to Press Secretary Jay for introducing our series, Fake News. And I was having a conversation with somebody just this morning who works in that industry, the news industry, and we were talking about um, how challenging it is anymore to know and discern what news is real, what news is fake, uh, what to believe and what not to believe. Uh, the fact that a lot of what we read or hear comes either intentionally to be misleading or just comes from a particular perspective or bias or opinion. And so it's, it's tough to discern and filter through all of that. And unfortunately, we're not immune to this concept or this phenomenon of fake news in the church when dealing with the Bible and what the Bible does say and doesn't say. And so in this four-part series we've done, Fake News, we've dealt with some of those phrases, things that we hear or say that really aren't true, aren't reflective or indicative of what the Bible says. Things like God helps those who help themselves. Or God won't give you more than you can handle. Or everything happens for a reason. And today we're taking up the fourth bit of fake news, which is name it and claim it. And all of these, by the way, are on our YouTube channel or our podcast that you can go back and find them and listen or share them. But also all four of these, even though they may be handy phrases to keep in your pocket or, or maybe easy things to say or feel good in a particular situation or moment, especially when you don't know what else to say, they actually are all theological statements as well. Statements about faith and about God and about us. And really, they're, they have maybe shades of the truth in them and at best are just incomplete. So take the one for today, name it, and, name it and claim it, which is also sometimes called the prosperity gospel, right? It, you maybe have heard this spoken, or sometimes it just goes unspoken, but it's underlying in the way we live out our faith. The idea that God wants you to prosper, that God wants you to have much, much more than you have and wants you to always be happy and well. And, and you just have to ask for what you want. And this applies both physically, materially, as well as spiritually. 
The idea that God will do miracles related to sickness or sadness or our savings account. But often it just requires you to sow a seed of faith first, which usually is monetary in nature. And it says that if you prosper or the, if you have prosperity, then that's a sign of God's favor. And then lacking prosperity is a sign of the absence of God's favor. And this is fake news. Now, granted, there are biblical roots to it because you might point in the Old Testament to Malachi in chapter 3 where God tells them, put me to the test, tithe, give your tenth, and I will open up the windows of heaven and pour out resources upon you. But if you understand that story in the context, you know that what was going on is the people, God says, you're robbing me because they weren't giving their tithe. And then there weren't enough resources to provide for the priests, the Levites, and for people in need. And so the people were looking at God and going, hey, God, how come there's not enough? And God's going, well, you're not giving. If you would give and share, there'd be more than enough to go around. And by the way, this is communal. It's not individual. This teaching from Malachi is not about me and my life. And that if I give to God, then God's going to open up the windows of heaven and rain down stuff and possessions and money on me. It was more about how a community of faith could live together and there would be enough for everybody. People point to the New Testament, to John in particular, in John 10.10, where Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you would have life and have it abundantly. Or John 14, when he's talking with his disciples, and he says to them, anything you need, ask in my name and I will give it to you. And we read verses like that, and they get interpreted as, well, then if we need something, we just name it and we claim it, and God will give it to us. But the problem is, in situations like that, we run into, and and I just want to drop a little hermeneutic terminology here on you about understanding and how we read and understand the Bible, the difference between exegesis and eisegesis, because exegesis is looking at the scriptures and trying to extract from it what God is teaching us and revealing to us for our lives and for our day. And eisegesis is looking at the scriptures and reading into it what we think, our ideas, our ideology, our beliefs. And what happens with verses like that is we get caught in eisegesis and reading into it, oh, well, God wants me to be wealthy. God wants me to have possessions. God wants me to have a nice convertible. As opposed to the exegesis, particularly those scriptures in John, where what Jesus is talking about is he's talking about spiritual matters. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about living the kingdom of God life that starts within our hearts, our spirits, and our souls not with our stuff. And then there's verses like in James, James 4, 2, where James said, you have not because you ask not. You don't have what you want or need because you don't ask for it. And so we read that and think, well, just then I just need to ask for it. I need to name it and claim it. Well, the problem is the only way that works is if you don't read the next verse. Because <laughs> the next verse in James 4, 3 says, you ask and still have not because you ask with unholy motives so that you could have that or use that for your own self to satisfy your own desires and cravings. And, and it's important to be clear here. 
There's a difference between believing that God can do the miraculous and believing that God will do it whenever we want God to do it. There's a difference between asking for something because it is consistent with the character of God and advances the kingdom of God and asking God for something because it's consistent with my desired lifestyle and advances my personal brand. And that's the danger of this fake news, name it and claim it, or the prosperity gospel. It gets us thinking that if we pray enough and ask enough and live right enough, then God will come through for us. We develop a faith and a worldview that centers around me and we, and me and we having whatever we believe we should. And then Jesus just becomes a means to an end. And then actually can become our justification for unholy, unchristian living. I mean, it's Independence Day weekend. We can look in our own nation and see where we've dealt with this. I mean, go back to the 1800s, the 19th century, when the doctrine of manifest destiny developed. And it was our belief as a nation that we could and should have this entire continent. It all belonged to us and we deserved it. We were entitled to everything as far as we could see. And of course, a cousin to that doctrine is American exceptionalism. That on on the one hand acknowledges that this experiment in government and society is unique in a lot of ways and good. But what it has become then is it become an attitude that we elevate ourselves above every other nation. And then what comes with that is a belief that we deserve what we, whatever we want, a, a deserving, an entitlement, almost an arrogant attitude about our nation. And then that comes all the way down into our households, right? Because then every parent believes their kid is the next professional athlete or performer or president, because anybody can be president. But so when it comes to this bit of fake news, name it and claim it, or the prosperity gospel, if that's not what the Bible tells us, then what does the Bible say? One place that we can look for truth, for the good news, is in the New Testament in a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, the book of the Bible, 1 Timothy. And the last chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul starts to get into this kind of thinking and teaching Timothy, not only for his own sake, but also as he leads other people in the church. And Paul points out to him to beware of people who are teaching wrong things in the church. And he adds to that specifically then, beware of people who like to stir up arguments based on their faith or in the church 
He said, because what it is, they, they end up viewing godliness as a source of wealth, as a means to prosper, to get rich. And then he offers a, a different way. And that's what I want to read for you right now from 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 6 through 11. And we're going to put it up on the screens. This is what it says. Paul said, actually, godliness is a great source of profit when it is combined with being happy with what you already have. We didn't bring anything into this world, so we can't take anything out of it. We'll be happy with food and clothing. But people who are trying to get rich fall into temptation. They are trapped by many stupid and harmful passions that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some have wandered away from the faith and have impaled themselves with a lot of pain because they made money their goal. But as for you, man and woman of God, run away from all these things. Instead, pursue righteousness, holy living, faithfulness, love, endurance, and gentleness. That doesn't sound at all like name it and claim it. In fact, almost in direct opposition to that kind of thinking, Paul says godliness plus contentment is great gain. Which actually I love the word in the Greek for godliness because what it actually means is to prosper in your pursuit of God. And so what Paul does is he takes that idea, that concept of prosperity and prospering and uses it to speak spiritually instead of materially or physically. And he says, godliness, prospering in your pursuit of God, plus being happy with what you already have, contentment, that is great profit or great gain for you and for me. And then our ideas about what it means to profit or to prosper become less about what more we can get, what else we can have, how much greater we can pile on or add to, and it becomes more about, okay, how do I be comfortable and happy and satisfied living with less instead of more? This would be the proper application of the verse in the Bible that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, because this is the kind of thing that Paul was talking about when he wrote that. I can live with much, I can live with little. Then he says, because you don't bring anything into this world and you can't take anything out. It made me think of an illustration I heard from another preacher a few years ago, a guy named John Ortberg. And uh, he was talking about the game of Monopoly. And he says at the end of the game, it all goes back in the box. You've played Monopoly, right? And he was using it as an analogy for life. That we get so caught up in the game, acquiring properties, getting money, developing them, staying out of jail, <laughs> and dominating this board. 
right? And he said, we approach life so much like that. We want to dominate the board of life. But Ortberg said, you know what? When the game's over, whoever wins, whoever's in the corner crying, (laughs) it all goes back in the box. Like Paul said, you don't bring anything into this world and you can't take anything out of it. Now, I struggle with that. And I'll tell you a story that I think exemplifies how I struggle with that. Uh, and it's about me and my wife. So you always be careful ter- telling stories about your spouse up in front of people, but I've cleared it with her. And it goes back to when we first uh, started dating. And she comes from a family that likes to play games. I come from a family that likes to play games. And so naturally, we eventually ended up at the Monopoly board together, right? And one time in particular that I will never forget, we were playing Monopoly at her house with her two younger sisters. And so there's the four of us playing, and it's a normal game of Monopoly, played the normal way. And then I figured out as the game moved on and I was building my empire, (laughs) I figured I'm, I'm a little competitive. I don't know if anybody else in the house can relate to that. But I figured out my wife was doing sweetheart deals for her sisters. You know, and then it just became blatantly obvious. Have you ever played with somebody like this? Oh, you don't have enough money to pay that rent. Here, I'll give it to you and you can give it to me next time or later when you have more. No, that's not how the game is played. (laughs) Oh, you need a property to make a set. I'll sell it to you for a dollar. No, that's not how the game is played. (laughs) I was sitting there losing my mind inside thinking I'm marrying this woman. (laughs) And this is how she plays Monopoly. I'd like to say I've gotten better. And I think I have a little bit. Don't ask my children. For example, we, I have gotten better. This is me proving that I've gotten better. So like when we play Settlers of Catan, we, we have a mutual rule when me and my wife and my kids play that whenever you move the robber, we don't move it onto somebody's property or somebody's resources. We put it in the desert, back in the desert or on a property that's not owned by somebody. You would only get that if you play Settlers of Catan, I guess. But the point is, we've adopted this mutual rule where we don't do harm to each other as we work our way through the game. Can we just be honest for a second? That is completely (laughs) un-American. To play the game that way or to live life that way. (laughs) But man, she taught me a lesson. That there's actually something more important going on there than me winning Monopoly again. At whatever, by whatever means necessary. And, And really what Paul says is be careful of setting as your goal, making more money, getting more stuff. Because all that leads to is temptation for traps. And I mean, he even names it stupid (laughs) and harmful traps that lead to ruin for people. Do you remember when the housing market crashed in our country? 
not too long ago. I do. We tried to sell a house right after that. I will never forget it. And right, what we understand in very simplistic terms is one of the causes of that is we had a lot of people buying houses, taking out mortgages that couldn't afford it and shouldn't have. And we had lenders writing those mortgages, risky mortgages when they shouldn't have. And then compound that because then they took those loans and packaged them into even more risky investments that they sold to people. Just watch the big short. (laughs) We had to pause it a couple of times (laughs) during the movie just to let the steam go and discuss what was happening. But gosh, when we set this as our target, as our goal, gain, prosperity, we open ourselves up and others up in our world up to all kinds of temptation, trouble, danger, ruin. And Paul said, instead, run away from that. (laughs) Literally, go the other way. And instead, pursue godliness, which he describes as righteousness, holy living, faithfulness, love, endurance, gentleness. It brings to mind for me the fruits of the Spirit where Paul named love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control that these are the evidences, these are the fruit of a life that is indwelled by the Spirit of God. It brings to mind to me the selflessness, the sacrificing, the serving that was the character of Jesus. Paul's saying, be imitators of Christ. Jesus himself said, seek first the kingdom of God and then all these other things that you would worry about will find their place and be taken care of. And in fact, in that chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 6, which is the last chapter, as Paul sums up that letter to Timothy, he tells Timothy, tell the wealthy people not to put their hope in their finances, but to put their hope in God, because God supplies everything needed for joy. So instead of this fake news, that we name it and claim it, the prosperity gospel, how about the good news? Pursue God, and God will provide for our needs. God may provide a cure or a reprieve or added income. God may provide peace to endure with grace. God may provide contentment so that I don't have to win the world or my school or my industry or my neighborhood. Pursue God and God will provide. 
you know, we've been through four weeks of this series, Fake News, and it's, it's complicated, obviously, on a social level, and, and it's complicated on a biblical level. We think about what does the Bible say? What does it teach in its entirety? And where are some of these things just a little bit askew or incomplete? And what we want to do with the rest of our time here this morning is take the opportunity as we're gathered here right now to celebrate the good news. So if you think about it, where some of the fake news might be, God helps those who help themselves. The good news is God is our help. And it doesn't matter about our ability to help ourselves. In fact, it might be better said, God helps those who help others. Or, th- or think about the fake news, God won't give you more than you can handle. When in fact, the good news is God is faithful and will make a way. Or the fake news, everything happens for a reason. Or God has a reason, or it's God's will. When in fact, the good news is God is here, God is with you in it, and so am I. Or today, this bit of fake news, the name it and claim it, the prosperity gospel, when in fact, the good news is pursue God. And God will provide for our needs. And so what I would like for us to do together is is we've created an opportunity for us to make personal application out of the good news and replace the fake news with good news. So maybe somewhere some of that resonates with you for a situation in your life or in your community or as you look around the world. And there's a way that you could write a headline. You could express the good news that we find contained in the scriptures about who God is and who we are and our relationship and our faith. And so what we want to do this morning is do all of that together at once. We want to express how we experience and realize and share the good news. And so this news is coming down. And what we've got is a blank board. And some pens. Thank you. Sorry about that. So what would you write? What would be the headline that you would want to share with people about the good news of God in your life or in our world? In just a minute, we're going to have time to sing together. And I invite you to join me. And let's write a new headline, some new stories about the good news of God. And then what we'll have when we're finished will be all of our expressions. In In the face of all the fake news that we hear and see, we'll have a collective expression of the good news of God at work in our world and in our lives. And also, while we're doing this and while we're singing, this is going to be our opportunity to give back to God, to give our tithe or our offering. This is your opportunity to honor God in this way, to return back to God some of what God has blessed you with, 
and also to be a part of moving the mission of this church forward with what you give. And the ways that you can do that are up on the screen there. We've got several. We want to make it as easy for you as possible. But before we come and and write our headlines of the good news and give back to God and sing, I want to ask you if we could pray together. And we'll pray God's blessing for the good news in our lives and in our world. God, we are thankful for the truth in the Bible, the good news that you are our help, that you are faithful and will make a way, that you are right here in it with us every day, no matter what, and that we are in it together. And then as we pursue you and what it means to live a life filled with your presence and your character, as we find example in Jesus, that as we live that way, you provide for our needs. God, thank you. And so now in the next few moments, as you bring to mind for us how the good news is playing out in our lives and or maybe the headline that we want to see. God, would you inspire us so that we could share it together and collectively see your good news. God, would you bless what we give when we give our offering and our tithe. Take it and multiply it. We give it freely, trusting you that you would do amazing and wonderful things with it to bless people all around us in our community and across the world. God, some of us are in here this morning desperately grasping for good news. Crying out to you. We ask you together, hear us. Hear our cries. Be God. Make your presence known and felt among us in a way that's unmistakable, even life-changing, so that we can go out of here carrying your good news with us into your world. God, this is our prayer together in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.